Um, so I grew up in the Midwest, um, and uh, it was around the St. Louis area. I was saved when I was age 11 um, in a little town, you might have heard of it, Cape Girardeau, Missouri, right off the river. And uh, I went to a fairly decent-sized church, but um, this pastor really brought it that day, and it just um, touched my heart um, so much. It moved me. I, uh, that point on, it changed my life forever. Um, so I, I went forward at 11, um, asked Christ into my life, and uh, was shortly baptized thereafter. So, um, but God's had to use me and shake me a few times. Um, in high school, he brought a great student pastor to me. And you wonder where I get my student pastor leaning. Well, the, the student pastor invested a lot of time in me. And um, that's where I was able to learn a lot about the ministry. And thus, by the time I was out and getting to be in my senior year of high school, I decided to uh, devote my life to ministry. I actually made a decision to, to say, God, I'm, I'm going to serve you. But I did have to get shaken another time while I was in college. I graduated from Southwest Baptist University. Uh, some of you know where that's at. It's in Bolivar, Missouri. Um, little town, but uh, some, some great folks there. Um, but I didn't start off in ministry, so that's the, the little bit of shaking part that I had to get done uh, to my life. And uh, God wakes you up really quick in certain situations, and he did that. Um, so I graduated with a youth ministry degree and also a minor in church recreation. Yeah, that's really useful today, right? So, um, but I did do that. I graduated, and uh, I also um, picked up a wife there, and everybody knows my, my wife, Tabitha, and I have two lovely kids. One is about to go back to school this next weekend, and the other one is figuring out what she wants to do in the music industry in Branson, Missouri. So um, a lot to be said there, but this is our one-year anniversary in Idaho. Um, it was this month that we moved up here last year, and I know things moved quick. So I did want to do, actually offer my testimony because I know uh, several of you haven't heard that. So, um, but enough on my history. Let's jump into the word. Um, you should know before we do that, that I'm a big proponent of application. I'm also a big proponent of examples and illustrations. And my youth know this, that I like to bring things in. I am personally a visual learner myself. Um, always have been. And, you know, I look at it from this standpoint, Jesus used parables, you know, to explain to the people some of the biblical principles that we, we know and we love today. So um, that's what this illustration is going to be. And we'll get into that in just a minute. But I'm, I'm sure you that it does apply to what we're going to be talking about in the word today. So, um, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 15, but uh, before we do that, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, we just thank you for this time, Lord, that we have to share in your word together. Lord, I just thank you for each and every person and life represented in this congregation today. Lord, I pray that you speak through my words today, Lord. Let it not be me, but you that's uh, giving this a message today, Lord, and just allow 
my words to touch the hearts and lives of people, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you um, that you watch over us. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you can take a person, a dirty person like me, and just um, use them for your glory. And Lord, we just um, can't thank you enough for all the talents and things that we see gifted people with that they're using throughout the church, Lord. And we just pray that uh, we continue to do that and continue to uh, search what you would have for us as a church. And Lord, in the days ahead, be with us in our decisions. And Lord, just allow um, um, the pastor and Pastor Jared and his family, Lord, um, to find the right place that you want them to be, Lord. And Lord, we just give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've entitled this sermon, Is That Really What He Said? Now, some of you may be wondering what that is, uh, and the he stands for God, so um, is that really what God said? You know, we get our word and our message from God and our instructions from God uh, in several different ways. Um, One of them is in the actual scripture, and the others are times where we get it through the Holy Spirit. So um, God gives us messages and should be giving us regular instructions on what he wants us to do and how he wants us to live. Um, I don't know if anybody's had a problem with this before. It must just seem to be me. But whenever I bought some uh, technology products, sometimes I get them home. And I look at these things, I get it open, get it plugged up and stuff, and it's supposed to be automatic, it's supposed to work great for you, and inevitably something goes wrong. And I'm looking at this, and then I'm trying to figure this out, scratching my head, banging my head against things, and it says to call this 1-800 number. So what do I do? Okay, I'll I'll call that 1-800 number. All right, call that 1-800 number, somebody answers. And I go, well, I got some problems uh, troubleshooting, you know, this. I I can't get my PC to work and that type of thing. And and they go, oh, hold on just a minute. Let me transfer you. And I'm going, okay, Um, bless your little heart. Um, So I'm getting transferred around. And finally, I end up somewhere overseas where, bless their souls, they're trying to speak English to me and give me the instructions that I need to get this thing operating, but it just doesn't resonate with me. And I'm sitting there asking them to repeat themselves several times before I can get the instructions to actually get my product online and working the way it's supposed to. Well, that's not the way God speaks to us. When God speaks to us, he speaks to us very clearly in a way that we can understand. So you can know that if God is talking to you, you're going to understand what he wants you to do. You're going to understand those instructions. And that's going to be what we're going to be talking about in 1 Samuel today. It's 1 Samuel 15. Um, But as I said, I promised this illustration that I got up here. And I'm sorry for so many hoops, but I I know that it's it's going to tie into this lesson well. I don't know if there's a lot of people that like to cook in here. Um, Now, my wife and I, notoriously, we, we don't like to cook. All right? Just lay it out there. We don't like to cook, all right? Um, Now, we will dabble in baking every once in a while when we have a craving. And, you know, occasionally I get the craving for one of my favorite recipes. So I brought that in today, 
and I started making it last night. So one of my favorite recipes is the Nestle Toll House chocolate chip recipe. Okay, now I think almost everybody in here has either made, tasted, or, or at least knows what the Nestle Toll House chocolate chip recipe is. Okay, well, I started making it last night and I got it mixed up here on this table here. So I started doing this number and mixing all the ingredients and you see it looks pretty good in here. Um, in fact, it looks almost edible in here, but I did decide last night, it was my great idea that I could possibly make something a little better than Nestle Toll House and that time-tested recipe. So what I did is I'm going, hmm, you know, what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to leave out one of the key ingredients. So I left out the key ingredient of brown sugar. So there is no brown sugar in there. Um, this is all the rest of the recipe, but it, there's no brown sugar in that recipe at all. Now, you guys are laughing probably because one of a couple things can happen when I make that. That thing can be an ultimate disaster on the pan as it spreads out and tries to bake. And the second thing is it might be edible, but it may not be very tasty. It definitely isn't the Nestle Toll House chocolate chip recipe, right? Why? Because I left out the key ingredient. I left out some of the instructions to make that particular recipe the way we know it and love it. Um, so it is just not the same. So to kind of put this in another way, as we're kind of wrapping this around spiritually, getting prepared for the scripture, whenever we change, modify, correct, add to God's instructions for us, it is not the same. You know, I, you know, I may have made something, like I said, that's edible here. But without the brown sugar in it, it is not going to be the same recipe as we know and love. You know, and God is expecting us, when he gives us specific instructions, God is expecting us to do those specific instructions the way he asked us to do it. Another way to put it, Partial obedience, and this one might hurt a little bit more, partial obedience to God's instructions is not obedience. Now, I think we're set up and finally ready to get, dive into the Word. So if you want to turn with me, we're in 1 Samuel. I just lost my glasses, so right on my head. Right where I can't find them. Okay, so let's turn to 1 Samuel and dive into the Word. Okay? So this is starting in the first of the chapter. And yes, I used a story today. I think we get sometimes uh, a little glossy-eyed with stories of the Bible because we learned them as a young age, but then we weren't kind of old enough to grasp all the, the meaning and depth out of them. So this is a, a good way to get back into that. So um, this is having to do with Saul, of course. So we're going to read the first three verses here. Samuel told Saul... The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people Israel. Now listen to the words of the Lord. This is what the Lord of armies says. I witnessed what the Amalekites did to the Israelites when they opposed them along the way as they were coming out of Egypt. Now, 
Go and attack the Amalekites and completely destroy everything they have. Do not spare them. Kill men, women, infants, nursing babies, uh, oxen, sheep, camels, and donkeys. All right. So here we got it set up. We've got our characters. We've got our instructions. God sends specific instructions, which is my first point, by the way. God sends us specific instructions. And God sent specific instructions to Samuel to give to Saul. Okay? Now, our main characters, Saul, or Samuel. Let's start with Samuel. Okay? Samuel was the last judge of Israel. All right? He was the last judge of Israel. And it was given to him because of some complaints made by the nation of Israel. Oh, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. We want the prestige. We want somebody to represent us. We want that. And God tried to dissuade them, but they still pressed forward. So God says, Samuel, I want you to anoint this man named Saul. So Samuel finds Saul. Saul is a common man. You ever notice that God uses just common people more than often than not to do his work? Because Saul didn't have anything outstanding about him. In fact, there's only one thing that I saw stand out about Saul in the Bible was that he was a head and shoulder above his other fellow Israelites. But otherwise, he's coming from a farming family. And God's wanting to use him. God chose Saul. And so Samuel anoints Saul as the first king of Israel. Now, Saul's trying to set up his throne, set up his kingdom, okay? He's got a lot of work ahead of him as the first king, right? A lot of things to do. No pressure, right? All right, well, he's got uh, this instructions that have been from way back when. Because you might be thinking, okay, why does God want the Amalekites completely destroyed? That does not seem like God's character at all. Well, you have to understand who the Amalekites were. And you have to understand who God is. God is also as much loving as he is just. And God took a look at the Amalekites, took a look at their hearts, took a look at what they did to Israel, and he said, no, this can't happen. Saul, I want you to completely wipe them out. So... If we take a look in Deuteronomy, and this is my only jump back, by the way, but we are going to jump a little bit back in the story so you get a little bit of the history behind this actual request. And it goes back to Deuteronomy 25, if you want to follow along, verse 17. It says, Remember what the Amalekites did to you on the journey after you left Egypt. They met you along the way and attacked all your stragglers from behind when you were tired and weary. Oh, look at this next statement. They did not fear God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from the enemies around you in the land, the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. Blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. Do not forget. So here we got the Israel just generation after generation passing this down that God had promised to get rid of these uh, nuisances because Amalek had, had no mercy. They were a thorn in the side to Israel. 
and they settled down in the southern part. This is where, where they're from. But anyways, going back to the story, Saul receives the message. Now, Saul's going to get the message, and we're going to see what he does with it. But one thing to note is that Saul didn't have any questions. Okay? There was nothing in response that said Saul misunderstood what he was giving in the instructions. So let's move on. We're going to jump back to our scripture and start in verse 4. It says, Then Saul summoned the troops and counted them at Telem, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men from Judah. Saul came on the city of Amalek and set up an ambush in the wadi. He warned the Kenites, Since you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came out of Egypt, go on and leave. Get away from the Amalekites, or I'll sweep you away with them. So the Kenites withdrew from the Amalekites. Then Saul struck down the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which, this, which is next to Egypt. And both those are in the southern region of the Promised Land. He captured King Agag of Amalek alive, but he completely destroyed all the rest of the people with the sword. Saul and the troops spared Agag, the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and choice animals, as well as the young rams, and the best of everything else. They were not willing to destroy them, but they did destroy all the worthless and unwanted things. All right. Well, on the outside of things, if you take a look back, anybody looking from the outside in, you'll say, Saul did a pretty good job, didn't he? He came in, he got most of the instructions right. Well, what about that king that you saved? And you're probably wondering, why, why didn't you just kill the king? Well, in that time, uh, kings and nations that um, conquered other nations, it was kind of common for them to save the king as an example and it stand out as their victory. And they could parade them around, they could do different things, but they saved the king back, you know, for that, that example and showing their victorious um, uh, time in battle that they had against this other nation. That could be the reason here, but that's just speculation, so that's not the important thing to hold on to here. But you did notice that he did save the king back, and he did save the choice cattle back. Were those a part of God's instructions? No. Well, in a way, they were because he said destroy everything. Okay? He didn't say to save anything. And it was also common in that time, when you got, and you were the victorious nation, you got the plunder out of it. You got to save the best of everything. So here we see Saul's probably had a lot of influence from his people wanting to save back some of the choice things for their hard work in the battle. But here you got to understand that Saul did not carry out God's instructions. It leads me to point two. God expects us to be a part of his ultimate plan. Okay? God expected Saul to carry through his instructions. He's been waiting to this point in history, and we came to the point in history where God said, now it is time, I want you, Saul, to destroy the Amalekites. 
See, he's inviting Saul to be a part of this ultimate plan that God has. You know, for us today, God gives us instructions. And God gives us instructions specifically to do, to carry out, and he expects us to to follow those instructions, but it's kind of should be our pleasure and privilege to be a part of God's expectations in God's history. He's knitting together history, and he's asking us to join him on this particular plan to get this accomplished. And Saul was the man for the job because they were settling in as a nation. Now they got a king, and God called on Saul, and he expects him to carry out his plan. But Saul didn't do it. So now we're going to see what God's response is. So moving on, 10 through 15. It says, Then the word came to Samuel, I regret that I made Saul king. For he has turned away from following me and has not carried out my instructions. So Samuel became angry and cried out to the Lord all night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up to confront Saul. But it was reported to Samuel that Saul went down to Carmel where he did what? He set up a monument for himself. Then he turned around and went down to Gilgal. When Samuel came to him, Saul said, May the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Samuel replied, Then what is the sound of sheep, goats, and cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The troops brought those, uh, them from the Amalekites and spared the best sheep, goats, and cattle in order to offer a sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we destroyed I don't know about you, but I see a few problems here with Saul's logic. And you know, we, we take a look at this, and we got to back up to God's response. Because God responds to disobedience, which is my third point. God responds to disobedience, and this, this was what it opened up with, is the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret I made Saul king. Does that mean... God made a mistake in putting Saul as king? No. God does not make mistakes. God appointed Saul for a specific time and a purpose. And that was the man for the job. The problem is, we can be the man or the woman for the job, but still not get God's instructions done and done correctly why because we have free will we have free choice we don't always listen very well do we sometimes we see things through our own lenses Saul was seeing things through his own lenses. he's interpreting God's instructions through his own own lenses because he was a people pleaser He wanted everybody to to praise him, to look on him fairly. But he got God's instructions and he looked on him and said, well, there's got to be a way I can please everybody. So I'll give a little bit to God, I'll give a little bit to the people. And everybody will be happy. Well, 
God's not really happy here. And you can tell because he said he regretted making Saul king. In fact, Samuel got angry and he cried out to the Lord all night. Did you notice that? Why would Samuel be mad and upset? Well, if you just kind of imagine and reverse it in my place or in any pastor's place, as we've invested and invested and put time into uh, our congregation, our, our people, and then we go out and we see them totally mess up their lives. And we're going, you know, that just is very upsetting. It just drains you. It takes a hit on you. And Samuel's feeling that right now. Samuel was a part, he was a spiritual leader for Saul. He felt invested in Saul. Said, I spent time with Saul. I anointed him as king. Now he takes God's instructions and does this? You know, I wonder sometimes if we see things through our own lenses. We take God's instructions, and it's very clear what God is trying to say to us. It's very clear what our mission and task is. But we see things through our lenses, and we go, Oh my gosh, God, I got this, this on the calendar, and this on the calendar. I just can't do it. I don't have time. Really? You're putting, it's like putting God on hold. Here, oh, it's God? Oh, can you hold, please? You know, sometimes we make modifications to God's instructions on what we're supposed to be doing. And a good example of this is what if God's telling you, you know, I want you to go down to that hospital over there, and I want you to visit this person that's been in the hospital a while. I want you to go to this nursing home, this person that's been in there a while. And we kind of pull a saw here. And we go, oh, you know what? I got this, God. You know, I, I, my calendar's booked right now, but I'll send them a card. I'll care enough to send the very best. We'll send the Hallmark. Or how about that person that needs a hand down the street? You know you've seen them. Out of the corner of your eye, you've seen them. They need help. Or maybe they even asked for help. And you go, you know what? I got this, God. I'll call my deacon or the pastor. That way, if they get in a spiritual conversation, they'll be better off to handle that. Or how about this? The church needs help serving with the children, serving on a committee. And you're going, God, I don't know about that. That requires that big C word called commitment. It's an indefinite commitment. I don't think I can do that. You know what, God? I got this. How about I throw an extra 20 in the offering plate? Maybe that'll make up for it. Friends, there's no substitute for obedience. You know, 10% obedience to God's instructions is not acceptable. 
50% of doing what God said and his instructions is not acceptable. 90% of following the instructions is not acceptable. And 99% of following God's instructions is not acceptable. God requires 100% obedience to his instructions. There is no substitute. There's nothing you can offer him as a substitute. Well, we've seen what Saul did. Saul chose to not follow all of God's instructions. And we see what kind of character he is as he has set up a monument for himself in Carmel. Whose victory was this? Oh, Saul, you pulled it out? Or was it God's victory? And you set up a monument for yourself. Can you see the arrogance in Saul? Can you see the the self-righteousness in Saul? And the self-centeredness. This is who Saul was. But you know what? We can tend to have those same characteristics at times, can't we? Let's move on to the last point. 16 through 23. Let's see what Samuel did when he caught up with Saul. Stop! Samuel exclaimed. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, he replied. You can almost see arrogance in that reply. Samuel continued, Although you once considered yourself unimportant, have you not become the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you as king over Israel and then sent you on a mission and said, Go and completely destroy the sinful Amalekites. Fight against them until you annihilated them. So why didn't you obey the Lord? Why did you rush on the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? Oh, Saul's response. But I did obey the Lord. That's seen through your lenses. I went on a mission the Lord has given me. I brought back King Agag of Amalek, and I completely destroyed the Amalekites. The troops took ah, the troops took the sheep, goat, and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was set apart for destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Then Samuel said, Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of divination and defiance is like wickedness and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. You know, that statement from Samuel, that probably stripped Saul's pride all off. You can see that hitting him square in the eyes as Samuel says this to him. You just lost your kingdom. Oh, and did he? Well, it doesn't seem like it came very quick. But if you remember Saul's reign, it got really tormentuous after this for him. And by the way, was any of his family on the throne after this? No. Saul lost a lot 
because of his pride, his self-centeredness, his arrogance, and his failure to follow God's instructions. You know, we may see this as something that, oh, you know what, this is just uh, a character from the Old Testament. You know, this doesn't really happen. I guarantee you it really happens. Good deeds back in his face. Say, I I didn't do all of this, God, but I'll, I'll throw in something that I can give you. That's what Saul did. Saul did that. He said, the troops saved these back and were saved the best to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. That didn't make up for the fact that God said completely destroy everything. And if you remember history correctly, Malachites weren't completely done here. Even David had to deal with them. You know, when we don't do our job at work, we get yelled at. You know, sometimes there's a lot more consequences than we want. When you don't get God's instructions correctly, there's a lot more consequences than we can imagine. And the nation of Israel paid for that for several years out and after that. The good deed. You know, maybe God's not calling you overseas to some mission service. Maybe he's not calling you up here as a pastor. Maybe he doesn't want you to do that particular sort of service. But maybe he's just simply wanting you to come alongside Maybe he's got instructions for you for your own neighborhood, your own community. Maybe he's just saying, I want you to come with me and join with this church because you will be able to, it will free you up to do a lot more things within the church. It will allow you to get involved, get invested in God's ministry. Maybe membership is the thing that you need. Maybe praying for the church. You haven't been praying for the church. The church needs prayer. And the church needs prayer for this church now more than ever. Maybe it's tithing. It's hard to give. How has God gifted you with the things that he's given you? And how have you used it? I see many people around that have used their talents and gifts for the Lord. And praise the Lord for that. That's a blessing. But the church cannot function without people kicking in and doing what God called them to do. Using those gifts and talents for God's glory. If you're a child of God today, you may not be rejected but maybe you're unusable by God. Maybe you've been modifying God's instructions so long or not paying attention to God's instructions so long that you're just completely unusable. It doesn't mean you're not saved, but it does, need to mean, does mean that you need to get right with Him. 
going to close. Some of us need to get right with God. Some of us need to start doing exactly what God instructed us to do. Now, for those of you that don't know Christ as your personal Savior, this wasn't really targeted at you. This message wasn't really one for you, but this can be very applicable to you today. You can enjoy God's blessings today. You can walk away and have a changed life forever by giving your heart and life to Him today. This could be a very different day for you. Maybe you just need to pray and get your heart right with Him today. But I can tell you this. We'll open the altar open. But I'm going to tell you, if you need to ask Christ in your life, walking this aisle is not going to save you. Getting dunked in that tank over there is not going to save you. Saving, saying some words that we have you repeat is not necessarily going to save you. What's going to save you is when it comes here to here and your heart changes and you ask Christ in your life and it shows your life is going to be different. And you know which one I, I see the most that hurts? Your mama and daddy's faith is not going to carry you. You are responsible for you. Only you can make a decision for Christ. I'm going to ask Tanner if he would come. We're going to pray. I'm going to leave the altar open. You can come make a decision. You don't have to make it up here. You can make it right where you're at. You can come pray. You can come speak with me. Um, You know, the options are open. But I tell you this, don't leave those those doors today if you're in a wrong situation with God. Maybe you're you're fine. All this does not apply to you. And you're saying, I follow all God's instructions perfectly and we're on good terms. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, keep on. But if you're not, today, don't leave those doors without doing business with Him. Let's pray. Father, I just thank You for the day. I thank You for Your Word, Lord. I thank You for this example that we have in Saul, and we can see it in in his life, Lord. And You provide these examples to show us the wrong way. You show us your heart through these examples. Lord, you wanted Saul to follow those instructions, but he didn't do it. Lord, you want us to follow those instructions, but only we can determine whether we've done that. Today, if there's somebody in here that doesn't know you personally as their Savior, I pray that they do business with you today. Lord, guide our hearts and guide us.